Welcome to Life on the Watercrest Line. In this series, we follow the activities of the line throughout the year. We go behind the scenes and see all aspects of the operation. Welcome to Watercrest People, Part 4. In this episode, I talk to three of the people who worked to make the Watercrest line a success. First, I talk to Sandra Johnson, who manages the very successful Watercrest Bell. Then we hear from David Mead, who tells me about the regional groups. Finally, I continue my discussion with Steve Crowther. I'm sat with Sandra Johnson, who's the Watercrest Bell Manager, and she's going to tell us about how she got involved with the Watercrest Line in the first place. My husband and I, we were at a loose end one day, so we happened to see this advertisement, so I like steam trains, so we came down. Didn't do much. Three months later, came down. They were looking for volunteers. I volunteered 31 years ago. We had a meal on the train, and I've been the manager now of the actual Watercrest Bell itself for 20 years. I enjoy every aspect of it. I arrange the menus, I do the staff, I sort out the suppliers. Essentially, I do everything, because that's how I work. I don't have a deputy because I don't like one. The staff are mature. They work for different parts of the railway besides me, but I love what I do, and hopefully I'll be able to continue doing it for two, three years more, having reached a landmark birthday. But it surprises me how quickly those 31 years have gone. But I wouldn't come down here if I didn't enjoy it, which is why I'm here on my day off, and I was here yesterday, and I'll be here tomorrow for a meeting. So what type of catering do you do on the Watercrest Bell? It's four courses silver service. Everything is cooked fresh on board. The chefs do the soup, which is done from scratch, obviously. They do the main course and the vegetables, so you get a main course, two vegetables and spuds, and I do all the desserts. Then it's cheese and biscuits, coffee and mince, but everything is cooked on board and we're one of very few railways that actually cook. 1668 is our kitchen car. So we have a generator car, a dining car, which I'm majority shareholder in, owner of actually. We have the kitchen car, which holds the bar, where they do the drying up and the washing up. We have another dining car, which belongs to two of my technicians. And it's all privately owned. So it's privately owned, but lent to the Watercrest line? We like to play trains. We bought the carriages many years ago. A kitchen car, we have got two. Extremely hard to get hold of. At an auction, a kitchen car in any condition would start at £150,000. Most railways will cook off-site and bring it in on heated trolley and will have paid staff. Apart from the chefs, every other member, including me, we're all volunteers and we all work on the railway in different ways. I'm predominantly the bell, but occasionally I pop out and do other things, but the rest of my staff do stuff everywhere because that's what we do. We like our railway, and I couldn't do it without the staff. Occasionally I'd like to think I could get rid of some of them, but I can't do it without them. So the kitchen car sounds a fascinating carriage, vehicle. It was once a kitchen car for British Railways, I presume. The Watercrest Bell is Mark 1 coaches. It's made up of boat train coaches, which took passengers from Southampton, from the Queen Elizabeth Queen Mary, down to London. 
and there was a chance many, many years ago where we were going to be the cortege for Earl Mountbatten of Burma's funeral, but they, the Queen decided to drop her rather splendid coaches in instead, so we, we never actually got round to doing it. It's maintained by my technicians. I get paid by the railway, have a budget account for maintenance, but essentially my three technicians, John, Dan and Bernard, maintain the integrity of the bell because they are owners. Most of the staff have got a little bit of ownership in the bell, but we just enjoy doing it, and they wouldn't do it. The thing is, if you're paid staff, you get told. If you're voluntary staff, you have to ask them politely. Yes, that's very important because you have to keep people happy. I do. I have to be nice to them, which is quite difficult for me in some respects, but the menus are different every time. They're never repeated. So you might get the menu for the 24th of August is that, 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 and that, and then the constituents of it will be separated and might be repeated in another menu with different things, different desserts, different main course later on. But I've done it for 20 years now as the manager and I've never repeated the menu because otherwise it's boring for customers, never mind the chefs. They are customers, but we treat them like guests. So we are pleased to have them on board. They're not all very nice or complimentary, but hey-ho. But we cook and present it as if they were guests in our own home and that comes across and that the bell is always fully booked. I essentially don't have anything left at all this year, and I'm already being asked for next year's dates, which I haven't decided on yet. Somebody comes along, has booked a meal, which will take some hours to eat, I presume. Essentially, the customers arrive, and we depart at 7.15, and we get back at quarter to 11. So they have a soup, a main course, a choice of one of three desserts, cheese and biscuits, coffee and mince, in that period of time, and we move. We go up and down the railway. We have no problem at all in accommodating vegans, vegetarians, celiacs, dairy. Dead easy. You walk along the, the lines of Sainsbury's and there's everything. You can just pick it off the shelf for someone. doesn't matter how stupid it sounds, I can accommodate you as long as you tell me before the day. So don't turn up and tell me at 7.15 that you're a vegan, vegetarian, dairy intolerant because I won't be happy. <laughs> but I'll probably accommodate you. But it's, it's no problem at all. We've even had strange things like allergies to apples and pears bananas but I can accommodate you but as I say I make all the desserts and I try try to make it interesting the staff are very proud of what they do and that comes across the fact that they're voluntary they've agreed to work on that day they are dressed, beautifully dressed they have a special uniform even the behind the scenes team have polo shirts with watercress bell on them because they are part of it, all of them we're promoting our railway with our set of coaches and we enjoy it all of them as you said it's three and a half hours approximately so that people must travel both ways of the watercrest line a number of times almost three times we go up and down so we will stop at Alton when it opens again for Buttsbridge for about 20 minutes half an hour and that's when they get off for a walk around a smoke or whatever but essentially we just meander up and down and they enjoy it and the thing is is that it's then we're not pushing them to get out so we can have another setting in. It's them for three and a half hours, eating beautifully cooked and presented food by pleasant, accommodating staff who want to be there. You say you cook everything on the train. What are the biggest challenges for your chefs? None. Nothing. Nothing is too much trouble. Say, for instance, I wanted carrots. I need 20 pounds of carrots. But I can ask the greengrocer to have those ready done, sliced, so the chefs don't have to do that try to make their job a little easier because it's not a very big space that they cook in and in the summertime they boil and in the wintertime they're in the best place in the house because they're warm 
but they produce 72 meals beautifully cooked and beautifully presented and also feed what staff during the day those staff that are there for the whole day will get fed don't feed any staff in the evening but they also provide the staff meal as well but try to make it easy for them like ready prepared vegetables but not too much got to give them something to do after all they're getting paid so there's very rarely challenges except when somebody turns up and says i don't eat this and i don't eat that and i don't want that but we can always conjure something out of the cupboard so it's not a problem at all now we hear from david mead you have a responsibility for coordinating the regional group uh, we support the railway as volunteers and so we're split into regional groups. My responsibility is to make sure all the regional groups are able to uh, volunteer and also we meet every so often to discuss issues, advertise to Midhance Railway for instance by means of distributing leaflets and timetables. We also try to go out with sales stands and publicity stands to various exhibitions since we've established this we've done quite well we've been to places like Fairham and the Reading area and we just basically go to exhibitions like model railway exhibitions and just to publicize the enhanced railway how many volunteer members have you got we've got a large membership but uh, the number of volunteers is about 300 out of the membership we do have a lot of sleeping uh, armchair members of course but for various reasons they support us financially also, of course, we do have members who live quite a long way from the railway. Obviously, they're not in regional groups, but we do rely on the membership to boost up uh, revenue. And also, in return, we give them a discount when they come and travel on the railway. And volunteers also have more discounts from things like going into the shop and on special occasions like Thomas. You can be a member without being a volunteer. Can you be a volunteer without being a member? Well, yes, you can, actually, because if you volunteer, you are basically working for, although zero wages, you're basically working for the PLC. So you come under their insurance policies. So every time you work on the railway, you have to sign on and sign off. And during that time, you are covered by insurance. And that's quite right. You do not have to be a member of the Manhattan Railway Preservation Society, although we would like to encourage it. Over the years, how important has the Midhance Railway Preservation Society been to the railway? Well, it's been very important indeed because, uh, as I said earlier, we all try to publicise the railway the best we can by means of leaflets and timetable distribution. And, of course, we talk amongst friends, Facebook page for people to publish their photographs on. And generally speaking, uh, we try to spread the word wherever we can. Thank you very much. My third interview in this episode is with Steve Crowther, the station master at Arlesford. At the time of the interview, Steve was also the chair of the MHRPS board. This is a role she stood down from in September 2019. We had a station training day where we went through safety customer service, looking at what happens in the signal box, looking at 
the role of the guard because if you're on the platform you know the guard is some strange being that leaps out of a guard's line every so often and waves his flags about but what do they maybe blows a whistle yeah um, i hope so and what do they actually do when they're wandering around the train peering underneath what are they looking for you know is this just a nasty twitch that bends them over every so often so we took the staff through all of those things so that they better understood the role and because we are now seeing at Alsford and I think across the line more people with dementia who come and visit the railway we often see young people on the autistic spectrum who come with their carers we want our staff to be alert to the needs of those people and respond to them appropriately so that when they come they feel valued and they have a really good experience and that's about knowing when to step in when to step back how to manage situations so that's something that that I've talked to with my staff and we've shared good experience and that's that's valuable it's part of the volunteering role I'm very lucky one of my staff is a or was a very senior social worker who lectured in social work in adult and child social care so he was able to bring really good insights to us and somebody else is a, a first aid trainer so you, know, you use the skills we haven't yet found a particular role for our dentist <laughs> yes and i don't think you'd find very many volunteers to have recreated maybe the 1920s to 1950s dental surgery no i think not <laughs> lots of things happen on the line during the year yes lots of events Mm -hmm. What's your favourite? Oh, goodness me. It depends what role I'm in. One of the really most interesting, I think, roles is to be in a signal box on an evening service because the railway at night is a very different place. So I like the evening services. Santa specials are hard work, but you get the, the reward of seeing the, the many, many smiling faces. The last train this Christmas Eve, I met a family and Grandad said to me, we've been doing this for 20 years. This is where our Christmas begins. We have lunch in Alsford, we travel on the last Santa on Christmas Eve and that's the start of Christmas. And I thought, that's what we want to hear. Other than that, no, I don't think I have a favourite. Each brings its own opportunities. I think I'm quite pleased we don't have Peppa Pig I wasn't going to ask you about the downsides. <laughs> you will have some personal dreams, I say dreams, but ideas as to where you would like the line to go, how you'd like things to develop. I don't think it's a particularly about my vision. Well, I think it was the, the role of the early pioneers who wanted to see the line stay open and then wanted to see the line get to Alton. I guess if I have a vision at all, it's shaped for me by my youngest trustee who said, well, I want to be able to play trains when I'm as old as you. Thank you, Liam, I said. So how old is he? He's probably coming up to 30. Which for a trustee is very young. Yes, yes. So I thanked him very much and said that I would rather think it would be nice to be there to see it, but I'd be a hundred and something. So... <laughs> I see the role as chair of trying to gather people's ideas together and coalesce them so that they unpick themselves to make a, a move forward. So I want the line to survive. We can't expand it 
so it's about preserving and making it better. We need to raise the money to make sure that we've got enough steam locomotives at a time when steam locomotives are in shorter supply. We need to make sure that in an environmental world where coal is not necessarily the favourite fuel, there is an understanding that there is a need to preserve at least something fired by coal because that is part of our heritage and managing that in 20 years might be interesting too. We need to make sure that our buildings are fit for purpose. So it's not about doing anything necessarily new, it's about making sure what we have is maintained and improved and it's about making sure that the next generation and the generation after that are sufficiently engaged to want to do the same. No, I don't suddenly want us to go through to Farnham or run services every day necessarily, but I'd like us to be able to look out of that window in 20 years and see a smoothly operating railway so that those little ones 20 years' time are still going to Santa's with their children. And that's why the MHRPS and MHR Limited directors and trustees are working together on their vision for 2030 and thinking about rolling stock and environmental issues and attracting new volunteers and maintaining buildings because those are all the strands that will make us successful. What are we? We were a heritage railway in the days when steam just finished. Oh, let's keep a bit of steam going. We have to now be a tourist attraction. We have to be a tourist attraction. And that goes hard with some of the old timers who want to come and fettle a boiler. But if they want to be able to fettle their boilers, we have to have the people through the gates to spend the money or to attract people who want to leave us the money to get the boilers fettled. So our vision has got to encompass how we position ourselves for the next 20 years. This podcast is published by the Mr T Podcast Studio.